Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Good. Well, it's a real honor and privilege for me to be here with you. I got off the plane this morning at 6. So, um, from Los Angeles. So, uh, if I fall asleep, you have permission to fall asleep as well. But here I am. Uh, you're doing a series on more, and, and you know, my specialty in life is about that. But it's a little different twist. Uh, I'm a firm believer that less is more. And I'm going to explain to you from the scriptures, from the New Testament, how less can be more. And the opposite is also true. More can sometimes be less. I grew up in a sort of an eccentric, artsy home in Hollywood, California. My dad is an artist, was, he's passed on, and my mom was an, uh, an eccentric collector. So my house was just full of amazing things that she would never notice because it was full of amazing things. <laughs> So there was no opportunity for any one thing to stand out because there was just so many things. Uh, so now my wife and I are what we call minimalists. And we are always getting rid of stuff. And you walk into our house and it's clean, it's neat, it's whatever furniture we do have, you notice it because it's not cluttered. Now that's my choice, uh, probably because of my scars and <laughs> problems of growing up in a broken home. But at the same time, uh, there is a place where less is more. I, I got my degree in art. And this is where I learned the phrase, less is more. You put too much stuff in a drawing, in a composition, and it just gets cluttered and you don't see the whole, you don't see everything. And sometimes you take things away and it becomes better. I'm also a writer. And so I really value editors. They make me much smarter than I are. <laughs> uh, editors do a good job for me. They make me seem smarter, brighter, better, because they take away things that are lesser so that things that are greater become more valuable. And that's the message for today. Now, I, I, I come out of a denomination. That, uh, that was an Anabaptist movement. It was beautiful, non-creedal, until we came up with a statement of faith, which we don't call a creed, but we act like it is a creed. And in this statement of faith was, you know, the deity of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace through faith and all these wonderful things and then the pre-trib rapture and a pre-trib position on the millennium. The literal millennium. Now, here's the thing with that. You're, you have a tabletop, and you're putting on there the Jesus. And you're putting on that tabletop salvation by grace through faith. And you're putting on that tabletop this, right next to it that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. Now, what's wrong with that picture? Suddenly now, your doctrine of the rapture is as important as Jesus is on the same plane. So I always had trouble with that. I'd say, we should probably take that down off the... I mean, you can believe that, 
and still not put it on the table. There's a lot of things you believe that you don't put on the table. Because once you put it on the table, you're fighting over it. Yeah. You're drawing markers and drawing lines in the sand saying, if you're with me, you believe this too. And there's a lot of things that you might believe that you might not put on the table. So finally, people in my denomination started to listen, and they decided to change our statement of faith. And so they said, just the bare necessities are on the table. But then we're going to have a second table <laughs> where we put all those core identity markers for who we are. And then we'll have a third table where we put other social issues. This has just recently happened. And so last year, somebody wrote a paper about women in ministry and how that's wrong in the denomination. They put that on the shelf. That's never been in our denomination. We, we have a history of having women elders. And suddenly now, on the table is women can't be elders. And within six months, they're kicking a church out of our denomination for believing something that they could have believed for a hundred years. And now they're being kicked out. So what they did is make things more complicated. And it, 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 it made things worse. It's it become cluttered. It's become hard to see what's really important and what's not. And it's built walls and fences. And I've, I've literally written a letter saying, I'm withdrawing my ordination from this denomination over this issue. <laughs> okay. But see, I think we've got to dis rediscover how less is more. And I think, here's two, two points I want to make. One, we must simplify if we are to multiply the kingdom. Yes. We must simplify if we are to multiply the kingdom. And I will show that to you. And secondly, we must simplify if we are to magnify the king. We want to multiply the kingdom and magnify the king. To do those two things, we must simplify. So first, let's talk about how we need to simplify to multiply the kingdom. Now, uh, the three most feared words in a parent's vocabulary, especially on December 24th are some assembly required. Those words terrify me. Do they terrify you? Yes. Yeah, you, you open up the package and there's, there's like 10 other packages of nuts and bolts and screws and washers and, and then you start unfolding the instructions and it seems like it's every language but English. And when you do find English, the grammar's just a little bit cockeyed, screwy, just a little weird. Yeah, and so you can't really understand what they meant by what they said, and it gets more and more complicated, and you are up till all hours of the night trying to create this toy for your children the next morning. And you get it all done, and it looks just like a box, and you feel so proud of yourself, but there's one washer over there, or there's one screw over there, and you know that by noon tomorrow, your son or daughter is going to find out why that screw is missing. Because it's going to fall apart. 
See, sometimes more is less. The harder it is, the more complicated it is. And we are masters of making things complicated. We Christians are the worst at this. We've, we've taken what Jesus meant to be simple and made it complex. Here's the text for today. It's from 2 Corinthians 11.3. I'm going to have a few passages, but this is the core idea. Paul writes, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I fear we Christians have done that. We have made ministry so complex that we lose the simplicity and the purity of devotion to just Jesus. And the world looks at us and they think our God is like us. <laughs> He's not. He's far more pure. He's far more simple. You know, Simple is not simplistic in any way whatsoever. If you thought that, you were, you were misled. See, simplistic means there's not much to it. Simple requires that you really understand something to get it down to its core so that it is powerful. <laughs> I like to ask this question. I'm going to do it here just spontaneously. It came to me. If you accepted Christ before the age of five, raise your hand and keep it up. All right. Now, if you accepted Christ before the age of four, keep your hand up. Otherwise, put it down. You accepted Christ before the age of three, keep your hand up. Two? <laughs> you were two. Listen, people. I have a grandson who turns two next month. It's a big deal that he knows the difference between purple and pink. But even a young child like that can understand the simplicity of the gospel. Amen. And yet, for 40 years of my life, I have devoted every day to trying to understand the implications of the gospel in a deeper and deeper way, and I still have not touched bottom of this pool. It is not simplistic. Just because the pool is clear and you can see the bottom, doesn't mean it's not deep. <laughs> All right? And the gospel's deep. But a little child can bathe in it, not fear of drowning. It's an amazing thing, I thought. And I think we have made the kingdom of God so complicated. And it's time for us to simplify it. And this can only multiply when we simplify. So I, my whole spiritual gifting, my whole way, way God wired me, what he's called me to do is to take complex things and make them simple. So this is my, you know, if you were to strip away what I'm good at, that is at the end of the day the most important thing that I'm good at. Because it's the only way I can understand anything. I have a simple mind. Alright? So, and my whole passion is multiplication. You probably don't know who I am, but we launched a movement 
that started in Southern California and, and has spread all over the planet with tens of thousands of churches, hundreds of thousands of people that have come to Christ, that are meeting in homes and places of business. And it's all because we intentionally said, let's just make it about Jesus and simplify everything. Amen. One of our core statements is, let's lower the bar of how we do church and raise the bar of what it means to be a disciple. Amen. And that has been a core value for everything we do. So we sometimes what we do is called simple church. And it is meant to be something that is simple so that anyone can do it. In fact, one of our philosophies is don't do anything in church that a brand new believer couldn't do. Now, we happen to believe a brand new believer can do a lot of things. See, I, I think a brand new believer, that's something. See, when you accept Jesus as, into your life, you are now seated in the heavenly places with Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of God. God himself lives inside of you. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, how much is that? That's a lot. Every spiritual blessing that heaven has to offer, you it's already been transferred to your account. And if you read my book... Wait a minute. See, that's the, that's the way we do things in Christianity, isn't it? We treat people like they just need my lesson, they just need my book, they just need my program, and everything in their life's going to be better. But they've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So see, I think a brand new believer has as much spiritual power as the oldest saint Amen. in the kingdom of heaven. Right. I think a young 12-year-old African-American girl in Detroit who doesn't have a family and accepts Jesus as her savior is just as powerful spiritually as I am after 40 years of serving Jesus. No difference in power. Now, maturity is a whole other subject. And there is such a thing as growing in Christ and growing in maturity. But the power is available the moment Christ is in you. And you know what? It doesn't get any stronger with more knowledge. Reading more books doesn't make the power any greater because the power is already great. You can't add to it. You can't take from it. So my role as an equipper in the body of Christ is not to put good stuff in you, but to draw the God stuff out of you. Yes. And that starts with day one of a brand new Christian's life. So I think a brand new Christian has spiritual power and they won't know it till they use it. And the more we protect them from the world, the more we stunt their growth. So it's my job to get push them, to get involved right away. Go do something, try it. You can't fail. It's just a learning process. You won't disappoint me. That gets messy. Sure. I think you understand messy ministry. Yes. Yeah? <laughs> Those are the best kind. 
So I believe that a multiplication movement can only happen when we make things simple enough that empowers everyone to do it. See, here's the problem. When we make ministry complicated, the program takes precedence over the people. Yes. And it takes a highly gifted, qualified, highly mature, very educated person to run the program. And you know who gets all the glory? The program. The people running it. When you simplify it, Jesus is the only... Listen, if God's going to use you, it's got to be Jesus. Yes. It's not some program. And guess who gets the glory? Jesus. Yeah. But in order to see that happen, we have to simplify things. Yeah. Now, where I live, I live in California, and all over the streets, you can still see old, I mean, really old, 67 VW bugs driving around. They don't have power windows. They don't have power steering. Most of them don't have power anything. <laughs> but they're still on the streets. They're still registered. They're still driving. They're still parking. Why? Because they're simple. They're cheap. You know you can sell one now for like three times the cost to drive it off the lot the first day it was bought. It's maintained, it's not only maintained value, it's increased its value. You know, most cars, you drive off a lot, it drops immediately. But these cars are still going and selling for more now than when you first, when the first owner bought them. Because they're simple. They keep going. And they're easy to fix. I think ministry should be more like a VW bug. Now, Paul was a church planter, an apostolic church planter. He went about launching, catalyzing movements. Did he have a certain way of doing things? Actually, he did. And he talked about it all the time, and you've never noticed the verses, but they're all there. And I want to read some of these for you, so you understand that Paul had this practice. He says in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have received in us. Wait, there's a pattern that Paul had that he gave to the churches and he wants everyone to emulate that pattern. Interesting, isn't it? You've probably read that verse a dozen times and never stopped to notice it. He says to the Romans, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. There was a form of teaching he gave. And he gave it all over the place. <coughs> 2 Timothy 2.2, the verse on multiplication says this, the things which you have received from me. What are those things? There's a pattern. There's a, a way of doing things that Paul did everywhere. The things you receive from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Multiplication. So you see, Paul had a way of teaching that could be multiplied so that he gives it to one person and then that person can give it to another and then that person can give it to another and to another and to another and movements are born. Now, that doesn't happen with complicated ministry systems. It only happens when it's simple. 
In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere and in every church. Paul had a way of doing ministry that was simple enough that it would work in an Asian context or in a Roman context or in a Jewish context. It doesn't matter the culture. doesn't matter the language. It was a simple, reproducible pattern that once he gave it to somebody, that person was infectious, contagious, and could share it with all kinds of people. That only happens when we simplify what we do. That, now, like, remember what I said. Simple is not simplistic. It can be powerful. It could be real and be simple. But that takes more work than building a complicated system. Because you have to pull out very good things and leave them aside so the very excellent things remain. And that's hard for some of us to, to do. But that's what it takes. Let's lower the bar of how we do church and raise the bar of what it means to be a disciple. And let those disciples be change agents. Let's give them a pattern, a way of doing things that even a brand new Christian can do so that it multiplies and spreads. It's the only way we can see a movement. That's what I've given my life to. And Jesus did that. Did Jesus give us a pattern to follow? <laughs> do this in remembrance of me. What were the things that he gave us to do? Eat a meal. How many of you know how to eat a meal? How many, even non-Christians know how to eat meals. <laughs> it's, you see, it's something we all already know how to do. And then he said, take this meal and add the gospel to it so that you can share this with whoever you bring to your table. And I believe he intended that so that all of us reproduce the ministry he, that he gave us. And what do we do with it? Eat it. We've reduced it to a cracker and a thimble of grape juice and call it a feast. And then we said only people with backwards collars can do it. And we've taken the very thing Jesus intended for all of us to be empowered to do and and now you can only do it in stained, behind stained glass windows and only with people that are inside the circle. And we have taken the life and the health and the beauty of what Jesus intended to spread like a movement and we've contained it behind four walls. That's what we do all the time. How many of you know how to take a bath? Yeah. I, everybody knows how to take a bath. I, I can't remember a time I didn't know how to take a bath. And so Jesus took that and said, this is what you do when you make a disciple. You dunk them in the water, just like you do your kids. And that's something we all should do. But then what do we do with it? 
We put it behind stained glass windows. People with backward collars can only do it. They sprinkle a little water on the head. And only Christians are welcome to see it. The, all, what we do is we take the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ and we complicate it. And here's the reason why. There are people who want to be thought as thoughtful and want to be meaningful. They want to be important. They want to be needed. And they create systems that allow for that. They, I don't think it's evil intent. I think it's deception. Like Paul says, lest your minds be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, and we complicate church so much that it takes a highly gifted, highly educated person to pull it off. That will never multiply. And it doesn't. We have to simplify. That's what Jesus did. What Paul did. You know, when Paul was in Corinth, it's an interesting story. It's on his second missionary journey. He brings along twice the size of the team. He starts a church in Philippi, and he leaves Luke behind. Then he starts a church in Berea, and he leaves Timothy behind, or, or Thessalonica. Then he starts a church in Berea, and leaves Silas behind. Then he goes off, and he lands in Corinth all by himself, and he's afraid, because Corinth is the sin capital of the world. And there Jesus shows up and says, do not be afraid, I won't let them harm you. I have many people in this place. What people did Jesus have in this place? Oh, he's got a team waiting for you, Paul. They just don't know it yet. They haven't accepted Jesus yet. But once they do, you have all the team you need. You don't need to recruit a bigger team, Paul. Go find your team in the harvest. And that's what he did. So he's in Corinth and he starts this church, the Corinthian church. When he writes to the Corinthian church, you know what he says? I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you. I baptized this one and this one, and I think I might have baptized this one, but I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you. Then my question is, who did the other baptisms? Yeah, brand new Christians were baptizing brand new Christians. It's the only explanation. There was no other clergy present. That is the way movements happen. When we empower the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And the only way that can happen is if we make it so simple, anyone can do it. And yet powerful enough that everyone will want to do it. And that's what has to take place. We must simplify to multiply the kingdom. But we also must simplify to magnify the king. In their book, Made to Stick, Chip and Dan Heath wrote about what causes movements, what sticks with people. Made to Stick is a, like a, Malcolm Gladwell talked about the stickiness factor. And so we talk about sticky church where it gets on you and you can't get rid of it. And then when you touch somebody, it spreads to them. And when they touch somebody, it spreads to them. And it just starts spreading. That's a movement. So they wrote this book called Made to Stick. And this is something they said in it. To strip an idea down to its core, we must be masters of ex exclusion. We must relentlessly prioritize. Saying something short is not the mission 
Sound bites are not the ideal. Proverbs are the ideal. We must create ideas that are both simple and profound. That's my life mission right there. Make it simple and profound. So it's a process of relentlessly prioritizing that solidifies into something that can reproduce. And what happens is you start editing. You start taking things off and putting them aside. Things that are good, but not as good as the core. And what you end up with is something powerful because it's simple and, it's, and there's nothing left to take from it. In fact, that's what uh, Seth Godin says in his, one of his books. He says, the art of leadership is understanding what you can't compromise on. Will you get down to the core of what's most important and no further? And that's not an easy thing to do. The author of The Little Prince, uh, butcher the French here, Antoine Saint-Fupri. I told you, I'm a butcher. He said this, perfection is achieved not when there is nothing more to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. That's what we need. We need a church that is so simple, there's nothing else we can take away from it. It's just pure. It's powerful. It has everything it needs. And we don't complicate it with other things that, that distract it from the power that's already present in it. Sanity is knowing what to fight for. Insanity is fighting for anything, or as we see much today, for everything. Cowardice is not standing for anything. I think if you don't know how to strip things down to the core, you won't know what to fight for, what to live for, what to die for. And I think we have a confusing message to the masses because we give them everything all at once and expect them to accept it all at once and some of the things in there are life and death valuable things, and others are not. But we don't teach people to discern that. We just give it all to them at once. Paul was a master at simplifying everything down to one sentence that carried it all. I'll just give you a few of those that you've read before. Paul writes, for I have, to the Corinthians, he writes, for I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, every scholarly teacher on the planet, Paul is their hero. But they really do need to pay attention because Paul says all that other stuff is not important. Just bring it on down to Jesus and Him crucified, and that's enough. I don't think the world's so interested in all of our deeper theologies. They are interested in Jesus, but they can never get Jesus because it's so cluttered. The room is so full of stuff. That's right. This is where less is more. Let's just make it about what is the most valuable thing we have and leave it there. Yeah. 
What if it was just Jesus? Well, for Paul it was. He says, for to me, to live is what? Christ. Christ. What a mission statement. For to me, to live is Christ. Amen. What does that even mean? That means everything in life is Christ. Period. End of discussion. And then he says, to die? That's gain. Graduation. Looking forward to that day. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How, you can't get more simple than that. And it summarizes everything. He gets it down to three words in Colossians. Christ in you. That's it right there. That's the hope of glory. That's the mysteries that for long ages have been overlooked but now are being revealed. All of it, all of history is summed up in three words. Christ in you. Boom. Drop the mic. <laughs> And in one generation, the whole world was changed. And we have so we have libraries full of books. Many of them I have written. <laughs> and they just clutter the room. It, can you just get back to Jesus and just leave it there? Could, could, could it be that simple? Well, like Count Zinzendorf, who's also apostolic, says, I have one passion. It's him. It is he. Amen. That's it. I think we would be world changers and we would magnify the king if we just made it about the king. Not about how many times you got dunked in the water or how many times you said the rosary or how many times you went forward and gave your life to Jesus again, or how much money you put in the offering. I mean, we build all these checklists for Christians. And suddenly the checklists become what a Christian is. I think that's wrong. And I think we'd be more accepting and loving of one another if we just whittled it down to Christ in you is all it takes. Do you have Christ? I have Christ. We are one. Let's stop making it about all the differences and make it about what really matters. And that, that's how less becomes more. So I just to, to, before I conclude, I want to get practical with you, okay? So this is what I do. There are ways we have whittled down ministry to make it so simple anybody can do it. When we have a church gathering, we sit in a circle in a living room. It's small. I like it that way. It's like a family. Does the Bible say anything about church being a family? Every book in the New Testament describes God's people as family. Every single one. So we do it that way. Um, we, op we open it up with a little saying. Does anybody have any praises or prayer requests, words from the Lord, or sins to confess? Simple statement. The reason we do that is we have little kids leading church. See, a little child who has the Holy Spirit has as much spiritual power as the most mature adult in the room. 
not the same maturity level, but they also not only have that power, they also have childlike faith, which the mature saint has to work hard to have. If you treat your children like they need a babysitter, they'll act like it. But if you treat them as though they are an emissary of Christ's kingdom, they'll step up. When a child receives the Lord, they don't get a junior-sized Holy Spirit and a Jesus action figure. They have as much of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as anybody else. And you'd be amazed at the wisdom that comes from the mouth of babes. So that's we, we, we just make it that simple. So one of the things we do is called the seven signs of John. Has anybody heard, heard of the seven signs of John here in this room? Did a series on it here. Then you know. Alright, so... You know, basically, there are seven miracle stories in the Gospel of John. We just have the people read the story, and we ask four questions. What does the story tell us about people? What does this story tell us about Jesus? What does the story tell you to yourself, about yourself? And who do you know needs to hear this story? Four simple questions. How many of you feel you could ask four questions? If they're written down. You don't even have to memorize them. Yeah, a brand new Christian. A non-Christian can do this. A pre-Christian, let's call it that, a pre-Christian. As you keep doing this, you won't be a non-Christian for long. <laughs> and so basically, we've just said, we let the scripture speak for itself. We let all the people interpret it with these four questions. And we don't correct them when they get it wrong. There's no wrong. It's just discovery. And discovery means you get things more correct later. <laughs> we allow for that. That's education. Raise your hand if you ever misinterpreted the Bible. Keep your hand up. Look around the room. See all the heretics? We're going to burn them at the stake outside. All of us. That's how you learn. You make a mistake. Let him make us a mistake. Trust me. God and his word can handle it. It's handled 2,000 years of very poor preaching. It'll do just fine. Seven signs of John. Life transformation groups. Are you familiar with that? It's a group of two or three that meet together once a week for about an hour. Men meet with men, women with women. We do three things. We choose a book of the Bible that we're going to read repetitively, 30 chapters of Scripture a week. If we don't finish that book, then we read it again the next week and we keep reading it over and over again until we all finish and we move to another book. Don't need a leader for that. We confess our sins one another with a list of questions. And we pray for those who don't know Christ. Doesn't require a leader, doesn't require training or education. Anyone can do it. And yet it's the most powerful thing that can happen. It's the planting of God's word in the heart of someone who has cleansed their heart by confession and are on mission. And it reproduces. Simple. Lord, I thank you for your wisdom, which is profound and also simple. And I just pray that you would empower all of us to carry your message, your love, your power, your, your name to our neighbors, to the nations, to our classmates, to our work associates, and just let us... Let us make it about Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ. Let that be true every day in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.